If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, beginning with the 18th verse. Uh, the title of the sermon is, All Hat, No Cattle. And uh, I remember hearing that expression when I was young. I'm not actually from Texas, and I was talking to a few other folks this week. I told them that's what I was going to call it. Uh, I, I stood up late at night thinking up with titles, I, I, as you can tell. Uh, I really am not good at it, so I refuse to spend a lot of time in it. But this one just came to me as I was studying this passage and thought about it. And, and uh, several, my brother and several other folks that didn't, weren't raised in Texas, they'd never heard that expression. And it's uh, actually a, an original Texas idiom. Uh, it uh, simply means someone who gives the appearance of being a cattleman or a cowboy, but really uh, don't know anything about it. Uh, they have the big hat, have the big belt buckle, uh, they have the, the boots, the whole deal, but they uh, couldn't get on a horse if they had to. And they've never owned a cow and probably never been uh, touched a cow, for that matter. And uh, I, I remember when I was a youth minister, my dad raised horses, so we used to, I used to bring kids over to, to ride sometime. And there was always, you know, a couple of kids going, yeah, I ride all the time, and I'll help you, and I'll show you this. And they were always telling about all their adventures, so I always made sure when I got there I'd say, well, Johnny, since you know so much, why don't you go ahead and saddle that horse and, and put the bridle on him? I don't know if I've ever actually done that part before. And, uh, you know, it, it's so funny. Everybody's a big horseman until they get to the horse. Uh, and it's kind of like sports, you know. Uh, I was actually a really, really great athlete the longer I get away from it uh, in high school. I was actually pretty magnificent the more I think about it now. Uh, the further I get away, the better I seem to become uh, as opposed to reality uh, that I was very average. And, uh, but we don't really like to remember things that way. And uh, this is exactly what we're going to see here. Uh, a group of folks who uh, had a lot of talk. They talked a lot. And uh, they were very expressive and very outward, very external with their faith. But internally, there was no fruit being born. There was nothing being given off that was reflective of the Spirit of Christ. This is an interesting story. Matter of fact, um, scholars don't even know really how to classify this. Some call it a living parable. Uh, some call it uh, simply a, a story. Uh, some just say it was just an event that occurred. This is the only time in Scripture that we see Jesus performing a miracle uh, that is a curse, so to speak. It's the only time that we see Him doing something of this nature. It's the only miracle of judgment. All the rest of the miracles that Jesus did were miracles of healing and transformation, messages that, and miracles that were met for encouragement, uh, messages that were sent uh, for people uh, to be strengthened by. But this one right here is a miracle of judgment. I remember I used to read this, and I was thinking, what is He doing? Why did He do that? I mean, why did he curse that tree? And if we're going to read it here in just a moment if you're not familiar with it. If you just read it at face value, you'll look at that and go, well, that was an odd thing to do. Let's read it now that I've set it up like that and you're wondering what's going on. Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. And uh, we know from the previous verse that Jesus has been uh, in Bethany. And that is where uh, Lazarus lived. Mary and Martha, and that's probably who he's been staying with. It's about a mile from Jerusalem. It's during the Passover season. And so we know that on Monday he came into a Messiah's welcome, as they sang Hosanna to him. On Tuesday he cleared the temple out. And now here we are on Wednesday going back to uh, Jerusalem. And we pick up right here. Early in the morning he was on his way back to the city, and he was hungry. You see the humanity of Jesus, that he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, 
He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, May you never be fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Now that's a rather odd thing to do, don't you think? Here's Jesus. He's hungry. He sees a tree. He goes to that tree. He notices it's a fig tree. It's got leaves. But he gets there, and there's no fruit on it. So Jesus apparently gets angry and curses the tree, and now it's not going to have any fruit anymore. Thanks for coming today. You know, if you just read that without a little background and a little understanding, it seems rather odd, rather peculiar. My dad raised peaches. When I was about fifth or sixth grade, we started a little peach orchard. Probably had, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 acres of peaches. And I remember when my dad first got them and brought them out and put those out in the back of, back of our house. And we had some other fields. He planted those. I was so excited because I was ready for peaches then. And uh, he said, well, you're not going to have any this year. And you probably won't have any next year as well. And so the next year came about. And uh, they were full of leaves. And a uh, matter of fact, there I could even see some little green peaches starting. And I remember telling him, I said, Dad, can we eat those? He said, no, we're going to have to prune those. Those aren't going to be any good. And, you know, being the intelligent and well-educated seventh-grade boy that I was, I went ahead and went and got one of those peaches. And it was awful. It was pretty bad. And uh, so the next year came about, and he pruned them again. And then we had these beautiful, delicious peaches. He had about six different varieties. And uh, one I was all excited about because they were huge. When they, they were about this big around. My dad called them Russian peaches. I don't know if that's what they really were or if that's just what he called them. But they were huge. And I was all excited about eating one of those. And he goes, they're actually not that good. I'm going to give those to the horse. I said, well, you've got to be crazy. I want that big peach. And I bit into it, and it was just it was real average. It wasn't very sweet. It was just kind of like, you know, eating a, uh, a piece of fruit with no sugar in it. That's all it really tasted like. But there were these others, my favorite uh, variety of peaches. There were actually May golds that came in the May, but then my favorite were June golds. And these June gold peaches were only ripe in June, and they were delicious. Now, after about 10 or 12 or 15 years, we started to know some of the trees uh, would die, but some of the trees, they would burst forth with leaves, but there would be no fruit on them. And what normally happened is they would never get fruit after that point. I had a chance to do a little study on fig trees in Palestine this week. And what was interesting is the fig tree has a great Old Testament reputation. It had a great uh, aura about it. We see in Deuteronomy 8, when the children of Israel go into the Promised Land, they talked about the fig trees that were going to be there. We see it mentioned in Hosea 9. Uh, we see it in the Song of Solomon. Uh, it's mentioned it was a uh, delicious fruit. It was considered to be one of the great delicacies of that day. And uh, it was very sweet, and most of the time you could just eat it right off the tree. In ten months out of the year, it would have some type of edible fruit on it, unlike a lot of the fig trees that we have here in the United States. Matter of fact, <clears throat> some fig trees would get as large as 20 feet high, and they would have huge leaves. And those were probably the leaves that Genesis talks about uh, when Adam and Eve actually took the fig trees and hid themselves when they realized they were naked. So the fig tree has a great reputation, has a lot of history, a lot of biblical uh, par uh, parallelism, and it's symbolic of this, of the blessing and the prosperity of God. That's what it symbolized. Matter of fact, there was a group of individuals during the time of Jesus who were trying to make it a capital offense to ever even cut down a fig tree. So they took their fig trees very seriously. And here's Jesus cursing the thing and basically killing it. Well, 
The thing about a fig tree was is that in August, that was the main season in July and August, June, July and August, there would be kind of the figs that we know today. And then there would be another little batch that would come October, November. And then it would be barren about December and January. And then usually about February or so, uh, these little seedlings, they're almost like green almonds, would grow out to the end. And they were basically kind of like a little flower that would just bud on the end of the tree. And they weren't, they didn't really have anything to do with the fruit other than the fruits coming. And then they would just fall off after a while. And then the leaves would come. And the leaves would usually come before the fruit. Uh, but these seedlings would come off. And uh, they were called, um, there's two different terms I found. One was called a Tanaka, another one was called a, the Baraka. And uh, they were these little seeds that would come off, and the poor would often eat those. And those who were traveling would pull those seeds off at that time of year and, and eat them for nourishment. And so when Jesus sees this tree full of leaves, full of green leaves, he automatically knows there's something on them. Probably these little seedlings are on there that he can at least get and, and chew on. But when he gets there, he notices that those don't exist, which means there's no fruit coming either. This is just going to be a tree with leaves. It's going to be all show. It's going to be all hat and no cattle. There's not going to be any fruit. It's just going to be a tree with leaves. Aesthetically, it may be fairly pleasing, but that's all you're ever going to get out of this tree. And so Jesus curses this tree. Remember where he's been the day before. He's gone to the temple and he's cleaned the temple because they have become external with their worship, but their hearts are far from God. They had begun to abuse the temple for their own selfish purposes. So, as we look at this, it's important for us to realize Jesus didn't just kill a perfectly good tree because he got aggravated because there wasn't fruit on there. He's showing a picture of the nation of Israel. If you continue down this path, destruction is where you're headed. And we know that 40 years from then, the temple is completely uh, torn down and destroyed. In verse 20, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed and they said, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have the faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what <clears throat> was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, scholars debate about this. But he's standing on the Mount of Olives where a lot of things transpired for Jesus. And he's looking over the hill. And, and it would be uh, somewhat like me standing up here and looking down at the seats here. That's kind of Jerusalem's. This is the Mount of Olives. And many scholars believe as he was looking at Jerusalem, he was making uh, reference to the Temple Mount. He was saying, you know what? If you want to pray the removal of this temple the removal of the spirit, removal of the actions that are happening now, you can do it and it will occur. And we know indeed it does occur. The Romans come in and they level the temple mount. It's leveled. And they carry off a lot of the, the treasures and a lot of the goods and the gold and they go to the sea and they head back to Rome. It literally does happen in some fact. And we don't know if this is literally what was occurring or not, but we know it was either the Mount of Olives or it was the temple mount. But Jesus makes a point here. He's making a point that the tree is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And this is what will occur if you continue down the path that you're going. Now, there's some things that we need to learn from the tree today. First of all, what is a tree's purpose? Well, the first purpose of a tree is to bear fruit. To bear fruit. 
A fruit tree, that's the only thing it's really good for. Most of them usually aren't real big. You're not going to get a lot of shade out of them. If they're not bearing fruit, then they don't mean much. matter of fact, if you go to my house today, very few of them even have leaves. They're just these ugly trees out there. And they don't bear any fruit, and they really just need to be chopped down and moved. That's what they become. So we become as Christians if we don't bear fruit. If we're not connected to the vine of Christ as seen in John chapter 15. If we don't bear the fruit of repentance. Second part, second reason for fruit trees is to feed people. Feed the hungry. When you're hungry, it's a place, it's a source of food. It's a source of substance. So were they to feed the nations. You'll remember last week we talked about in the temple how the the court of the Gentiles, that was supposed to be a place where they were to encounter God, where they were supposed to be taught and to learn the Word of God. But they had made it a mercenary experience. They had begun to sell things and to buy things and to use it for profit. And they had, in a sense, made abomination to God for for the selfish desires of their own hearts. What about us? What kind of fruit are we bearing today? They should have been sharing the gospel. They should have been telling of God's goodness. They should have been teaching the Word of God. And last, the purpose of a tree is to multiply. The seeds uh, that come from fruit can be multiplied so that more fruit might be produced. The tree's problem was this. It was not fulfilling its purpose. Matthew 23, if you read that, is a scathing indictment by Jesus Himself to the religious authorities of that day. And the whole chapter is this. It's, you are doing stuff. You are doing rituals, but your heart is far from me. You have missed the point. You are teaching and preaching the sermons, and you're telling the truth, but you're not living it yourself. You're not demonstrating it in your everyday life. It's not having an impact. It's like that video we saw right there. Oh, dear Lord, help us to enact what the pastor has said today. And we don't realize that our fruit is repelling people. Matter of fact, it's not fruit at all. It's repulsive. So was the truth and the case in this particular instance of those who were the religious authority, those who caused themselves worshipers at the temple. A tree that is not bearing fruit is robbing nutrients. It's taking out of the soil minerals. It's taking water. It's taking sunlight that could be given to another tree, to another plant. So becomes the truth of us, and so becomes the truth of this. They were coming to the temple. They were using it. They were getting, the Bible tells us, they were getting the good seats. It talks about in uh, in, uh, Matthew chapter 23. They loved to be called rabbi. They loved to be called brother. They loved to be called sister. They loved to be called doctor or whatever it is they wanted to be called. But they were missing the point. Matter of fact, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is so scathing to the Corinthian church that he says, you know what? It's so bad that you ought to quit meeting. You ought to just quit going to church. You've made it such a mockery. You've made it such a place where you so mock God. Your hearts are so far from Him. You're being so evil to your fellow man that it'd be better for you to just not come. It'd be better for you to just not meet. You need to go and get on your face before God and repent. We see the tree's future. What will occur? Well, it's going to wither and die, and that's what happened to this tree, or it's going to have to be engrafted. The word engrafted also means to prune. You can prune a tree, and you can take the good limbs, and you can replant them in certain varieties, 
and, and grow another tree. And sometimes you can even take a, a good tree and take some of the good limbs off that and put it in a bad tree and engraft one there, and it can grow fruit. And they were going to have to, one of two things were going to have to happen. They were either going to have to be revived if they truly knew, it, knew him, or they're going to have to be reborn. John chapter 3, as he was talking to Nicodemus, you're going to have to be born again. You see, you've been doing it on rituals. You've been doing it on temple attendance. You've been doing it on sacrifices. But you've missed the point. You've missed the heart of the matter. And here, Jesus, the very Son of God, God in the flesh, is before them speaking truth to them. John chapter 15 being connected to the vine. The Bible tells us in John chapter 15 as Jesus is speaking there, He goes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. But here's what I desire is for you to bear much fruit. That's the purpose that we've been left here once we know Christ. It's to bear fruit. To produce fruit. Now, <clears throat> I made something up here I'm going to show you this morning, and you can poke a lot of holes in it. And you can say, I don't like this, I don't agree with that, and that's fine. You'll probably be right, okay? But I'm just trying to give you something that will help you, and it helps me. So I just made these up, okay? So in your bulletin, if you want to pull it out, uh, there are ten, things, ten questions I gave you uh, that, that talk about producing fruit, the possibility of producing fruit. And it says ten ways that you can simply appear to be bearing fruit. These aren't necessarily bad things. These don't mean that you're not bearing fruit. But let me tell you, just because you do these things, they don't mean that you're bearing fruit. It could be that you're all leaves and no fruit. Number ten, listen to Christian music. Well, that's a great thing. I'm glad you do it. That doesn't mean that you're bearing any fruit. Even if you turn it up real loud when you go across from your unchristian friends, you're probably just annoying them. Number nine, always vote for the most conservative candidate. Hey, you can be an atheist and vote the most conservative candidate. That doesn't mean anything. Have Christian symbols on your car or your clothes. I remember when I was a small child, I thought if you wore a cross, that meant you were a Christian. And I noticed Madonna always wore one of those. And I asked my mom about that. Say, it doesn't matter just because you have a fish on your car or you wear Christian jewelry. That doesn't mean that you are in love with Jesus. That doesn't mean that you're bearing any fruit. Support Christian businesses. Whatever that means. You are always a part of some kind of Bible study. You're always going to a Bible study. Well, that's great. I'm glad you are. But what are you doing with it? Just because you go to one isn't transforming your life. What are you doing with the knowledge that you have been given? How are you putting it into practice in your life? You can tell people it's been a very long time since you've cursed or drank or chewed or talked to someone who did. Does that mean anything? No, it just means you're... Probably very difficult to be around. That's all that it probably, probably really means. All your friends are Christians. You know, that one really bothers me. All my friends are Christians, and somehow that means that you are fruit producing. You know, Jesus, not all his friends were believers. They weren't all followers. Christ. I mean, he finds the woman caught in adultery. He finds the woman at the well. He finds Zacchaeus. I mean, he's constantly building relationship with people who would be, quote, non-believers. You speak out against views that are not like yours, and you do it very harshly. And make sure people know that you're mad when you talk about it. I don't know what you're accomplishing there, by the way. Number two, always attend all church activities. If the doors are open, you're here. Hey, you could be a fruit loop. That doesn't mean you're bearing any fruits, okay? I can be at McDonald's every time it opens. That doesn't make me a hamburger. So, number one. 
You are never seen with a group of non-believers or non-Christians. Oh, heaven forbid. Now, ten questions, and these don't mean that you are bearing fruit, okay? These ten I'm about to read to you, this doesn't mean that you are. They're just good questions for you to ask yourselves. That's all they are. Number ten, who is someone that does not know Christ that you're praying for? Somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God that you're praying for on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Number nine, when is the last time you secretly helped someone and no one found out about it? You went to a cost to an expense to really do something for somebody and nobody knows. Number eight, who would say that you constantly try to encourage them? Number seven, what spiritual disciplines have you practiced in the last year? Disciplines like fasting, uh, disciplines like study, disciplines uh, like service, disciplines like meditation. Where are you serving right now? Where are you helping right now? Number five, when was the last time you made a sacrifice for the kingdom of God? When's the last time you either monetarily or physically or socially made a real sacrifice for the cause of Christ, for the kingdom of God? Number four, what are three things that you thank God for in the last 24 hours? If we don't have anything else, we ought to have a grateful and thankful heart. Number three, would your coworkers say that you display the fruit of the Spirit? It says fruits. That is a misprint, and I didn't write it with an S there. Uh, it's supposed to be the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Are those characteristics of your life? When was the last time you shared the love of Jesus with someone who didn't know Him? And number one, who are you investing in spiritually at this point in your life? Here's ten questions we ought, to, we ought to assess and that we ought to sit down and analyze and ask ourselves, Lord, am I bearing fruit? Am I connected to the vine? Or have I found myself just living this external Christianity, this external religion where I do things, where I attend church and I check boxes and I read things and I dress up and I put a fish on my car and I think that's a faith. If we're not careful, we'll become just like those whom Jesus is condemning. The only time that Jesus performs a miracle of a curse. What about you this morning? You know what's interesting is he begins uh, this whole situation, not in this passage right here, but he begins this whole chapter in prayer, and then we see it ending in prayer here. We see prayer is kind of on the bookends here. And he says, if you had the power of prayer, he said, if you will believe in faith, in the power of prayer, in the God of prayer, then you could see miracles occur. I want us to take a moment. I want to ask you to stop for just a moment. I want us to do a spiritual inventory in our own hearts. And I want us to pray for just a second. And there are probably things in each of our lives that we need to confess to God. Things that uh, are repelling the Spirit of God, are repelling those who need to know Him. The Bible says, so let your light shine that others may see your good work and glorify the Father in heaven. Is God being glorified through your life? Is the fruit of repentance, the fruit of love, the fruit of sacrifice, the fruit of prayer, the fruit of sharing, of giving, of loving, what fruit is being produced from your life today? Do a spiritual inventory for just a moment. And if you need to, confess to Him and ask Him to help you start again. 
by putting some of these things, I encourage you to take these questions home and look over them. I encourage you to, to make a commitment to begin to make an impact in the world that you live in for the cause of Christ with our mission points or whatever it is that God leads you to do. Will you let God use you? Will you reconnect to the vine? Maybe some of you have never connected to the vine of Christ. I want to invite you to come this morning and experience His life transformation. Experience His grace and forgiveness.